morning, Alpha Quadrant. It's time for He's Dead, Jim, the podcast. We're watching Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and joining me as always is the wonderful Emily Lynn. Hello. How are you, pal? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused by this episode, but I think, I think I'm ready to talk some Star Trek. I think it's a really good episode. I think... Some interesting, like it's a very interesting concept. It is. I, I don't know what the message is of this episode. Normally, Star Trek is very easy to figure out the message. It'll be like racism is bad, and yeah. that that's often the message. This one, I'm really unsure, but maybe maybe by the end of our episode, I'll have a better understanding. Yeah, I need to talk it through with my good pal see if I can figure it out we were going to have on our good pals from Ain't It Rich Aria Salan Aria Salan or I say a name wrong and Mickey Flykick were going to join us but they've had some technical issues I was on their pod yesterday which is intimidating being on a pod with a couple of comedians with uh, my good buddy Dan Dennis was on there as well so I think I got a couple of words in but just... <laughs> have, you, have you been on many pods where you got like professional talking people particularly comedians no thankfully yeah it's it's um, fascinating just trying to trying to get a word in but also not wanting to interrupt their flow and their riffing it's fascinating. They do a thing at the start of uh, their pod called the Rich Quiz, mm-hmm. and I was going to do a bit of a quiz. We might even introduce that to our pod, and I might uh, might test it out on you, Linda, if that's okay. Okay. So I call it the Meritocracy Quiz, being Star Trek. So question number one on the He's Dead Jim Meritocracy Quiz: What job would you choose to do on the Enterprise? Um. I would like to be, oh man, I have like no skills that would coordinate with working on a ship. But I mean, I guess, especially when you get into like next gen and everything, there's basically people doing everything because it's such a big ship. It's like sort of a city unto itself. Um, I could be a chef. Nice. I mean, I know there's replicators. You're you're big into baking. But I, you know, they're still at least before they figure out what they're doing on um, on TOS. There's like a guy making Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, well, even on later series like Voyager, they've still got their own chef. Oh yeah, they have Neelix. They picked up Neelix in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Was there something about they're trying to conserve energy or something? Is that why they weren't replicating everything, or they just found this great chef? Uh, maybe. I think there was probably some sort of justification for it. There you go. Well, so many, so many options. Yeah. Uh, you're a podcaster too. You could work in c- communications. Yeah, I could do that. I could, um, uh, oh, like in, um, Chief O'Brien's wife is a botanist. But I couldn't do that because I don't have the train for it. But I could still like work in the greenhouse or whatever they have, like just taking yeah. care of plants. I think they're, they're probably big on advancement there. Like the, if you don't have the training, you can probably do easily complete the degree in your spare time in the holodeck or something. Yeah, and there's all sorts of like they're doing a lot of research and stuff. I'm sorry, I could find something to research. And even on TOS, it'll occasionally be like, oh, here's a, like, paleo-archaeology space counselor or whatever ridiculous thing they need that week. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Which alien race would you be in the Star Trek universe? Oh... I got to say, I have a weird thing for the Romulans, but I don't think I'd want to actually be a Romulan. Mm, it's tricky. It's very dangerous. They're a bit like the Romans. They want to knife all their leaders and destroy their council. Yeah. Um. I think maybe the Trill, which... The Trill? Yeah. 
technically introduced in Next Generation, but they're very different from when we actually see the Trill in Deep Space Nine regularly used to that because they're just sort of normal. And then some of them have the symbiote living in them. Yes, I was going to say, would you be the symbiote or would you be the host? I think I would be an unjoined Trill. It's very competitive oh, to go. be it's very competitive to be joined. Wow. Because there's not enough symbionts for everybody to be joined. Uh what food would you replicate first when you first get on a starship and get a go at the replicator? Mm. Fried chicken. Oh sweet. Good answer. It's it's maybe my favorite food. Nice. Uh, and what would you most like to do in the holodeck? <laughs> um, this is a dicey question. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go for a more like I want maybe try for a more wholesome answer than reality. Uh that's so. I mean, that's sort of hard just because it's such a wide field yeah maybe i need to rein that in what would you do first in the holodeck i think i would sort of use it like a tardis and that i just want would want to like go like do pro like i'd want to do like an ancient rome program where i just get to walk around an ancient rome looking at things it'd be awesome as long as it doesn't like Typically, the holodeck malfunctions and all the characters try to kill you. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. But uh, very exciting. So we'll assume this is a well-engineered holodeck with good fail-safes. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that completes our meritocracy quiz. Thank you for being our first contestant. Oh, boy. So exciting. Was I, was I found meritous? You were found worthy. Okay. What else do we have to talk about? Uh, Discovery. So Discovery Season 2 has just started, and I have watched the first episode. Um, looks like they're drip-feeding those. Yeah, I, I, I must have tuned in late for the first series, and I thought you could binge the whole thing. Uh, but there you go. Good so far. Exciting episode. Uh, no spoilers, but it felt a bit more Star Wars-ish with you know quirky aliens doing quirky things and a lot of action and that sort of thing, but I guess that's sort of what we're used to from the new Trek movies. Uh, yeah, good episode. I loved it. That's good. And they announced there's going to be a spin-off show. Oh, really? Off of... Um, I'm not across this at all. Off of Mich- um, Michelle Yao? Yo? I'm not. I'm not oh, entirely sure how you pronounce her last name. I apologize. I'm. I. I can pronounce Korean last names because I work at a Korean law firm. But other than that, really bad with pronunciation. Well, that's exciting. Um, and obviously, I don't want to spoil it for you or anybody because you haven't seen Discovery yet. But her character, fascinating arc. Actually, yeah, I'm. I'm a Discovery fan. <laughs> Very cool. When do you think you'll catch up on Discovery, Lindo? I. At some point, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have to keep the peer pressure up. You know what? It's because every every time we record, I go, "Oh yeah, I need to do that," and then I forget about it again. Yeah. Oh, so much content, so many things to watch. Look, if it were on Netflix over here, I would have watched it already. Oh, I know. To get your next next Christmas, the CBS All Access Pass. Man, I tell you, as soon as that Picard series happens. I'm signing up. Oh, yeah, that'll be awesome. It'll be interesting to see where that lands here and overseas as well. Uh, This week we watched A Taste of Armageddon from Season 1, Episode 23, Episode 24 on Netflix. Uh, The original air date on NBC was February 23rd, 1967. Peak Cold War. Stardate 3192.1. It was directed by Joseph Pevney and written by Robert Hamner and Gene L. Kuhn. The Enterprise is heading to star cluster NGC321. Uh, They have an ambassador on board, and he's keen to establish 
relations with planet Amenia 7, which is the key planet in this region. Starfleet need to establish a port in this quadrant uh, because apparently there's been several deaths that could be avoided or something if they had a port established. The ambassador's, how would you describe his fashion? He's sort of wearing, a, I guess, a tan-coloured sort of tunic. It's a whole lot of tan. Yeah, it's got a nice, it's got some nice embroidery, but it's got like a massive big round collar. And when they shoot him, so you can only just see him from the shoulders up, it looks kind of like he's wearing a sack. It's not particularly flattering, I will say. It's uh, It stands out anyway. Maybe something you could have at Fashion Week, just in a, not in a tan colour. <laughs> <laughs> the planet finally responds to hails from the Enterprise with code, the, just simply with code 710, which apparently means under no circumstances approach the planet. The ambassador is super arrogant. All of a sudden, he goes all aggressive and orders Captain Kirk to ignore the Code 710 warning and proceed on course. Which is a bold opening move for what is supposed to be a diplomatic meeting where they want this planet to give them some shit. Yeah, interesting. And this is a recurring theme. You have the annoying bureaucrat that doesn't listen to reason man they do that a lot doesn't respect kirk's authority and he yells at kirk and says that's a direct order and then we get ominous timpani (laughs) yellow alert spock updates kirk on the planet uh very little is known about the inhabitants the inhabitants of amenia 7 they are an advanced civilization that developed space flight centuries ago but have never ventured beyond their solar system First contact was made over 50 years ago, and at the time, Amenia 7 was at war with its nearest neighbour. The Earth expedition that made the report was the US Valiant, USS Valiant, which disappeared. Uh, The ambassador wants to go to the planet immediately, but Kirk uh, is able to overrule him and says that uh, he has to go and check out the planet first to make sure it's safe. Uh, Kirk and Spock beam down with two red shirts and a yeoman and they find themselves in a city with some pretty cool architecture and some nice neat green lawns. It looks very quiet and peaceful. Did this, I I wasn't sure if this was like a CGI shot. I I think it's just a matte painting. Like they they might have cleaned it up a little bit, but I, I think that's the original... Matt. Yeah, cool. It looks good. Good SFX. So a blonde woman, Maya 3, um, walks up to greet them, flanked by guards, and she's basically telling her guards that, you know, these visitors would be treated correctly and nothing more. Uh, the guards have very silly hats. Yeah, oh, my God. Ridiculous, pointy, cone-head hats. It's hilarious. They're kind of like... Almost like Smurfs, but they're all sorts of different colours depending on they match the the uniform. They're kind of like Power Ranger colours. Yeah, and all the all the dudes are in these like full body jumpsuit sort of things with big sashes and pointy hats. And all the women are sort of like uh, like wrapped in scarves, I guess. Yeah, like. Yeah, Maya's just wearing, she just gets the sash, I think, <laughs> without the uniform. And it's sort of just wrapped in such a way that it's like a bikini or something like that, tank top, I don't know, with a bit of a sash over the side. Yeah, you can yeah, definitely so you, you know, you see a lot of skin. And and because it's a beautiful woman, there's immediately like close-up on her, then a close-up on Kirk, and then like back to her. And romantic strings and, like Malk said last week, probably Vaseline on the lens. She gets a nice <laughs> radiant glowing shot. So, yeah, she's wearing – what else? Yeah, she's wearing black pants and a tea towel, basically. Um, Maya 3 says they were warned not to come here for their own safety. And she takes them to meet the High Council and their leader, Anan 7. Kirk explains their mission is to establish diplomatic relations – 
Hanan 7 says this is impossible because they are at war and have been so for 500 years. Spock says they have not detected any evidence of war and the planet appears prosperous and peaceful. Anand 7 goes on to say they have casualties of 1 million to 3 million citizens each year from direct enemy attack from the nearby planet Vendikar. Uh, he says the Enterprise is in danger while it is in orbit. And the meeting is uh, conveniently interrupted by Vendikar attacking. Uh, the council members race over to a room full of cool 1960s big computers and giant screens and a large bright circle appears on the map above the city uh, like a nuclear blast and uh, Maya 3 is shaken and explains that a nuclear fusion bomb uh, hit right here in the city um, and while sort of Kirk and everyone's sort of talking with Maya 3 another blast appears on the screen and one of the council members turns to Anand 7 and says that this is exactly as it happened 50 years ago. Uh, Kirk checks with Scotty on the bridge, but the Enterprise hasn't detected any sign of attack. No explosions, no radiation. Anand 7 says half a million people have just been killed and orders one of his men to activate the attack units and launch a counterattack. Uh, Spock is the first to realise that the planets are fighting their war purely with computers. And Kirk is shocked and says computers don't kill half a million people. Can I say now what I thought this episode was going to be? Yes, please. I thought that it was going to turn out that the other planet either either didn't exist at all or actually had nothing to do with this. And this was something that was just going on on this planet by itself, either by the computer, like going crazy or like one like guy, you know, like evil secret cabal decided that this was like a way to keep the population in line or something. There's still potential for that. We never see the enemy. We never hear the enemy. So and and that's clever in a way because it makes this enemy seem one, it's, it makes the, the enemy seem so much more mysterious. Uh, and two, I guess it really gives you the perspective from the people of Amenia 7. You sort of, you know, Kirk and his landing party are immediately embedded. Yeah. But no, that's definitely like, that's what I thought it was going for. And I yeah. got a little bit, I was sort of disappointed when it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, we don't get that confirmed, but. I guess it, that it's not totally explained, I guess. Or we don't sort of get proof that Vendicar does actually exist. Well, I think if, if the, I mean, the fact that they don't say that, oh, by the way, this was all fake means that it's not. Because <laughs> that's the sort of thing that you don't just leave ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I just want to start a conspiracy theory. Also, did they not, did Starfleet, did the Federation not, like launch an investigation when the ship from like 50 years ago disappeared? Apparently not. Like it sounds like this is way out in the fringes and maybe they just haven't been able to get anyone out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. They had, I guess if we take discovery into the timeline, like, They've had a Klingon war 40 years after that. They've been busy. Okay. They did have fair. 40 years to investigate, though. Anand 7 explains that the deaths have been registered and the victims have 24 hours to report to their disintegration machines. Uh, he goes on to explain that they've been at war for over 500 years and that no civilization could withstand that, but they have reached a solution. The attacks are mathematically launched on computers. Anand lost his wife in the last attack. And uh, Spock says, there is a certain scientific logic about this. And Anand 7 says, I'm glad you approve. And Spock says, I do not approve. I understand. And Anand replies, good. You will recall I warned you not to come here. You chose to ignore my warning. I'm sorry, but it's happened. 
your ship has been classified destroyed by a tri-cobalt satellite explosion. (laughs) (laughs) All persons on board your ship have 24 hours to report to our disintegration machines. Armed guards approach Kirk and the landing party and they are placed in custody until the rest of the crew surrender. Mayor 3 visits, visits the landing party in their quarters and reveals that she too has been declared a casualty and, then, and that she must report to a disintegrator by noon tomorrow. Uh, Mayor 3 explains that if she refused to, re- to report, then Vendicar would have no choice but to launch real weapons and then they would be forced to retaliate and do the same and then more people would die. Whole civilizations would be destroyed. McCoy and uh, Scotty are back on the bridge and they have been unable to hail the captain and they know nothing about their plight on the planet. I do I do like the fact that Scotty is in control on the bridge. Yes. I like Scotty in control on the bridge, especially when there's a fuckhead bureaucrat there. Yeah, Scotty versus fuckhead bureaucrat is always good. Yes. But also I just... I mean, first of all, okay, I got to say, I, I don't understand the chain of command on the Enterprise, particularly. I don't, I, I guess it goes Kirk, Spock, chief of engineering, which whatever. But it means we get Scotty in the captain's chair and he's just cool. And yeah, I, I do like the fact that Scotty is totally competent throughout this entire episode. Yeah, he'd make a good captain. Yeah. I imagine he does later on in Star Trek lore. So, and then we get a fake message in Kirk's voice coming through on the radio saying, good news, the Armenians have agreed to full diplomatic relations and tells Scotty to send the entire crew down for shore leave and they'll have a wonderful time. (laughs) All personnel are to beam down and will transport up trained Armenians to assume their support positions. Um, Scotty queries and says, all personnel, Captain? And uh, Kirk replies, those are my orders, Mr. Scott, as we cut to a shot of Anand 7 speaking the words into his iPhone, but he's using the Captain Kirk Snapchat filter and (laughs) can emulate Kirk's voice. It definitely looks like a smartphone, whatever he's just talking into. Yeah. Um, Scotty is no fool and he asks the computer to analyze the message. Finally, we're doing some voice analysis after so many people have faked different people's voices and radio messages. Um, the computer confirms the voice was not Kirk, uh, but there's a 98% probability it was made using a voice duplicator. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I, I know it's silly to have any problem with Star Trek technology, but how do they know what like what this planet has, how the stuff on this planet works, like what technology they're dealing with? Well, like this planet that they've never dealt with before sends out, you know, they're trying to hail them. They send them a code 710 and the Enterprise immediately knows that this under no circumstances approach the planet. How do they do that? Or unless they learnt that when they captured the first ship. 50 years ago. Maybe. Well, these guys are humans, right? They seem very human. I think so. That's always sort of... Well, they... Wait. They've been at war for 500 years? Yeah. They can't be human. Well, they're not human as in from Earth, but they're human as in there's a lot of planets in the Star Trek universe that evolved exactly the same way as Earth. Yeah. And they have Romans and 1920s gangsters and everything happens exactly the same way. (sighs) Yeah. Because carbon. (laughs) Yes, because carbon. (laughs) I don't know. I'm overthinking it. Back in the the cell, it's not really a cell, but in the quarters there – detained in Spock reaches out with his hand and focuses his telepathic energy on the guard outside and the guard falls in into a trance and just simply opens the door to the cell and walks in as Kirk knocks him out and takes his weapon Uh, Uh, 
they really like it's sort of like oh we're not quite sure how to get them out of this uh let's give let's give spock a new ability yeah I mean, I know that, like, we get, like, the Vulcan mind meld and stuff like that, but this is straight up mind control. Yeah. Bit of suggestion. Like, it's it's interesting, though. It's not clear how much of a hold he has on this guy's mind because they have to be ready to knock him out. But, uh, yeah, I like it. It's a cool ability. It'd be handy. What, what would you, be your favorite um, mind control ability to have in life? I think telekinesis would be the most useful. I so mean, moving it, moving yeah. stuff around with your mind. It'd make me really lazy. Oh yeah. But I feel yeah, like reading minds I think would just lead you to a whole world of trouble. Oh yeah. No, telekinesis would be handy. I'd like um force push that the Jedi's have in the prequels. Yeah. In Star Wars, so if you're sitting in a boring meeting at work, you can just do force push and just knock everyone over and leave. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Okay, so Kirk knocks out the guard, takes his weapon. The landing party go on a stealth mission through the corridors and they witness a person walking into a disintegration chamber. The door slides closed and then reopens and the booth is empty. Um, Kirk grabs Maya 3 as she's just about to walk into the chamber. Um, she's upset about this. She wants to do a duty and stop war. Um, Spock distracts a guard <laughs> by saying, uh, sir, there's a multi-legged creature crawling on your shoulder. <laughs> so great. And then Sp- that is pretty good. And Spock places his hand on the guard's shoulder and then knocks him out with a nerve pinch and grabs his weapon. They're pretty cool disruptors on this, the the weapons. They're really big. Yeah. Yeah, they look um, like they're capable of destroying some shit. Kirk yells for everyone to get out of the way, and then he shoots the disintegration chamber and destroys it. Uh, Maya 3 freaks out. What are you doing? Uh, The council are now aware of the escaped prisoners that are armed and have destroyed disintegration chamber 12. Uh, and on seven orders the planetary disruptor banks to lock onto the Enterprise and fire in 10 seconds. On the Enterprise, Scotty is updating the captain's log or the engineer's log or whatever his log is, uh, and they're fired upon. The Enterprise screens are protecting the ship, but Scotty can't lower the screens down in order to fire back. Is that a normal thing? Um. I think they've made mention of that on on TOS before, but I don't. I'm not quite sure. Um, I know that the screens are always an issue. You can't teleport people in and out while you've got the screens up. Maybe it's like uh, a power thing where the where the shields and the and the uh, like phasers use the same battery or whatever the hell. Yeah. Or maybe these Amenia 7, their planetary disruptor banks are so extreme, you've got to run your shields at 120%. Okay, so on the Enterprise, oh, there we go. Uh, The ambassador enters the bridge and orders Scotty not to retaliate and to open up a channel for him to do some diplomacy because he loves that shit. Uh, After he leaves the bridge, Scotty says... The best diplomat I know is a fully activated phaser bank. <laughs> it's so good. I love Scotty. He's awesome. Uh, the landing party head back to their cell with Maya 3. Um, Kirk says it's the last place that they'll be looked for. Um, Maya 3 is freaking out because her time is almost up and she wants to go and um, destroy herself. Um, Kirk tries to reason with her and tells her he's going to stop the war. Uh, in the council room, Anon 7 is freaking out because uh, they're behind in their quota and he doesn't know what to do until Special Ambassador Fox radios in and delivers the solution for him. Uh, Anon Anna 7 blames an error in their senses for the attack and calls off the attack 
and asks the ambassador to beam down. Anand 7 prepares to fire on the Enterprise as soon as they lower their screens. Uh, the ambassador is smug and starts bragging about how good he is at being a diplomat. Do you even diplomacy, Scotty? Uh, he orders Scotty to lower the screens and Scotty refuses. The ambassador tells Scotty he could have him sent to a penal colony for this and storms out. Uh, Bones says, now you've done it, Scotty. Scotty says, aye, the haggis is in the fire for oh, sure. Man. Which is a saying that no one has said ever. Um, but I'll not lower me screens until I know what's happened to the captain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 Scotty. <laughs> they just need a dartboard with just random Scottish words and they just, what are we going to say this week? Aye, the bagpipes are in the fire. <laughs> Yikes. Kirk walks into Anand Seven's quarters Anand delivers a speech and they discuss who are the biggest barbarians. Is it the humans or the Armenians? Kirk says he's not interested in discussing their differences and he can bring real war to them and destroy the entire planet. Anand 7 reveals their communicators are in the war room and Kirk has to fight off multiple guards to get there and he eventually loses and is arrested again. Uh, meanwhile, Ambassador Fuckhead beams down and is smug. Uh, Anand Seven breaks the news to him that he and his party have been declared war casualties and they will be executed. The Ambassador no longer looks smug and now he looks like he needs to change his underpants. Uh, meanwhile, Spock has a communicator back and raises uh, Scotty in orders that no one beam down from the Enterprise tell Scotty to orbit out to maximum phaser range and wait. Uh, the guards are trying to shove the ambassador into a disintegration chamber. which <laughs> is kind of hilarious in a way. He's like, oh, no, please. No, I'm not really a fan of this. And they're trying to shove him and jam his limbs in. Um, he's not into it. Spock rocks up just in time and destroys the disintegration booth. By now, Mr. Ambassador, Spock says, I'm sure you realise that normal diplomatic procedures are ineffective here. And the Ambassador finally listens to everyone around him. Disintegration Chambers, do you remember the first episode of Futurama? Yes. Yeah. How hilarious is that? What's Bender's just about to head into a disintegration chamber? And as it fry lines up, he doesn't know what it is. He's just in the queue. I think so. It's been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> so frightening. Uh, and Arn Seven is pleading with Kirk, talking about how horrible real war is and that Kirk is threatening to bring it down on them. And Arn Seven opens a channel to the Enterprise and Kirk blurts out, Scotty, General Order 24 in two hours. In two hours. And Kirk is restrained and Anon 7 tells the Enterprise crew that he has their captain and an ambassador hostage and he will kill them unless all crew transport down from the Enterprise. I mean, it's not a very good negotiating position. No, he probably doesn't understand Starfleet either. But yeah, you're not going to sacrifice... A whole crew. You for... all have to come down and kill yourselves, or we're going to kill the like two people that we have here. He hasn't told them that though. They don't know about the whole weird su suicide booth. Yeah, but they know the it's planet. not anything good. Yeah, maybe he's still. Yeah, he doesn't mention the shore leave. Come on down and have shore leave <laughs> and have fun, everybody. You'll have a great time. But if you don't, I'll kill you, Captain. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, it was a if it's in a position. situation of you come here or we kill these people, you pretty much know they're going to kill all of you because there's not yeah. that many options. Yeah, that's right. And I guess Anand 7, he figures he's pretty much out of options. Kirk explains to Anand 7 that General Order 24 means the Enterprise will destroy Amenia 7 in two hours. Anand 7 orders his men to fire on the Enterprise. The Enterprise has moved out of range. 
and Aunt Seven tries to reason with Kirk. You wouldn't do this. Hundreds of millions of people. And Kirk replies, I didn't start it, Counselor, but I'm liable to finish it. The Council will receive a message from Vendikar, which we don't actually hear. It's just reported. So as far as we know, it just comes from the computer. Again, I didn't think the planet existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They accuse them of reneging on the treaty. Scotty radios the council to warn them they have one hour, 45 minutes until all cities on Amenia 7 will be destroyed. Kirk sort of does a weird flip over a guard, but it's not really flipping him over. The guard just sort of falls over randomly near Kirk. <laughs> and Kirk takes his weapon and then it, Kirk quickly cruises across the room and disarms the other guards. Spock comes in at this time, you know, expecting that Kirk needed rescuing, but Kirk's got it all under control. But he tells Scotty, I, I really do need your help, though, and uh, sends him in to investigate the attack computers. Spock identifies which computer does which, and uh, Kirk destroys the main computer. And then he delivers a speech to Anan 7 about how they now have to talk to their enemy in order to avoid real war. Uh, and he says what I think is a great line. He's just talking about people and their faults and being barbarians and how we have a lot of blood on our hands in history. Uh, but he says, we can admit that we're killers, but that we're not going to kill today. I, don't know, I thought it was No, good. I like that bit. Uh, Ambassador Fox offers his services to negotiate peace. So there you go. So finally he's useful. And that's pretty much our episode. Yeah. Um, so what are we meant to take from this? Well, here's the thing is you could you could sort of talk about Cold War parallels and stuff, except for the fact that like three million people are dying every year. Yeah, so you haven't got that parallel. And so like that makes it, I don't know, much more... It's like weirder of an episode to wrap my head around in terms of like, so you're saying like, would actual war be better because that like, if your cities are destroyed, then you're willing to negotiate. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's fascinating. Isn't it? Like, obviously the, the Cold War and the whole idea of the nuclear arms race or the nuclear deterrent is that real war is terrible and you're trying to avoid war by through mutual destruction, I guess. So no one actually wants to push the button. But are they sort of saying by having this deterrent in place, then like the Americans and the Russians didn't actually have to go through real diplomacy or something like that. I don't know. I'm just trying to. Yeah. there. Uh, like there could be something about how easily we become inured against, against death and, and war if we don't actually have to see it. Yeah. Like I, I feel like there is definitely that thread of that there that somehow because these deaths are just people walking peacefully in a disintegration chamber, everybody can just sort of ignore it. It's all very clean. It's not and messy. you could sort of take that to, like, you know, if if people are over in another country fighting it and you're not seeing it yourself. Yeah. You're not really experiencing, the, like, you can just sort of ignore it. Yeah, which I think I think there's definitely some sort of to. I just I feel like the episode doesn't actually quite get there. Yeah, like so many of these, they get close. I guess that's it. It's about well, it's warfare with computers, ultimately killing millions of people at the push of a button. I guess now you could talk about like drone strikes. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a fascinating episode. I don't, I don't think I've seen a story quite like this told anywhere else. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it's, it's an interesting premise that they aren't, they aren't at the end of the day quite 
sure what they're saying with. Yeah. So I, I feel like it, it, there's there's something really interesting in the kernel of the idea. I, I kind of wish they had like drilled down into it a little bit more. I would love the twist, like you said, like the, if, if it was an actual confirmed twist that uh, Vendicar 7 was didn't exist or was completely uninhabited and this is all a simulator happening in a computer. Well, yeah, because planet. then or, or even like controlled by, you know, this Anon 7 or whatever, because then you get mm. this whole story about using using war and and the threat of the other to keep your population in line. Yeah. And how easily people are sucked into being told to hate these other people over there that are different to us. Yeah. And yeah, how how fascinating would that be if those horrible that horrible enemy didn't even exist at all. Well, I uh, I enjoyed it. I think it's yeah, definitely one of the better episodes and it had silly hats. It did have very silly hats. I did enjoy the silly hats. Should we do the mailbag? Sure, but first I have a question. In okay, oh yes, please. S- silly hat rankings. Yes. We have these silly pointed hats versus the Romulan centurion like helmet hats. Oh yes. Do we have any other silly hats? Uh, Devo. Eighties <laughs> band Devo, <laughs> famous we- for the single Whip It. <laughs> Do we have any other silly hats in Star Trek? Uh, hmm. Man, now I want to go and research this, make this a PhD topic. Silly hats in Star Trek. But what is the question? Are they functional? Well, yeah. And I was just, I was, well, I was hoping we could do like a, like a ranking of, but if we only have two, that's not much of a ranking. Hmm. Um, I want to keep my eye out for hats now. What have we got in other series? There's like there's plenty of aliens that have like physical features on their heads. Not a lot of hats stand out. These hats in particular. What do you think the inspiration was for them? Are they are they gnomes? Are they is this a is there some sort of weird middle age middle ages inspiration? I don't like. They are ridiculous. They are. They're sort of just like. I mean, they're just sort of the cone, like birthday party hats. Maybe it was just that the hats made it seem like, "Hey guys, we're on a different planet." Yeah, yeah, that's probably the case. Right. Okay. My homework for this week is to go and find some crazy Star Trek hats. And look, before anybody says, I know that Guinan on TNG has lots of different hats, but I'm thinking more like species specific hats yeah uniform hats yeah yeah well if anyone would like to write in with some space millinery tips that would be delightful yes oh and i think i read that this was the first episode where um we get federation of planets spoken really yeah because at one point I think Anon7 says it in reference to something. We got an email from our buddy Darren, who's written in before. And this was about hey, this is about a uh, court martial. And he yeah. says, Hi, Trekkers. I enjoyed the court martial episode, both the show and your episode. I would have liked a different ending. Finney should have died in the pod. This was caused by the computer, not because of a malfunction, but due to his decision the computer had to make. Like the trolley problem, and he gives a link. In other words, the computer had to kill Finney in the pod or the ship is damaged. I was surprised to hear Kirk say, my first priority as captain is to look after my ship. I would have thought his first priority was to look after the people on his ship. Um, also, when I saw a lecture in the court, I thought they should have played this scene from the castle instead. And there is a YouTube link that we can put up. Nice. Happy New Year for Stardate 2019. Thank you very much, Darren. Um, yeah, it would be a totally different ending. We would have had a HAL-type computer. Yeah, so, yeah, that would have, I mean, rather than it being some, like, scheme of Finney's to have it been the computer overriding it to kill the one dude to save the ship. But then also, if you've got Kirk being blamed, so the computer's doing a cover-up. 
Is it a cover up or just an error? Oh yeah. You'd have to yeah, there'd have to be some explanation of why that piece of it. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think I'm kind of happy with it being, you know, be careful, don't don't believe everything you read or is reported to you by a computer because a human could have manipulated it. I think I'm happy with that. Which would you prefer, Linda? Well, I kind of I kind of like Darren's idea. I just think it's it's such a different episode that would sort of have to be its own thing. Yeah. Because I yeah, can't right. I can't figure out a way to make the Kirk getting court martialed piece of that fit with that unless like the ship has gone completely rogue and then you're off into a whole new series. Because, like, if the ship is lying about the fact that it killed this guy, then you have, then you just have a whole new show from that point on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, So you've got a computer that's become sentient. So, yeah, I wonder are there, are there any cases of the Enterprise computer or a Starfleet ship's computer becoming self-aware and taking over? Or is it normally just, it's normally just an alien species gets control of the computer somehow? Yeah. I think the closest we get is when the holodeck goes haywire. Did he say there was a scene from the castle? That we... Yeah, the, the court scene that they should have. Oh, nice. Yeah, yep. I love that movie. It's the vibe. Very good. Very good movie. One more quick thing. We got a tweet from Catherine Neen uh, who corrected my primary school knowledge of history, or I think we were talking about, yeah, last week's episode, Space Seed, where the ship was called the Botany Bay, and that was after the landing of the British First Fleet to Australia uh, with Captain Arthur Phillips. So they did actually land in Botany Bay, but then Arthur Phillips apparently decided that he didn't like it much there, and then he moved the settlement to Sydney Harbour, and that's now we have our biggest city in Australia, Sydney. Um, so, yes, the Star Trek writers were right, uh, which makes sense. I don't think they'd be that silly. So, slight correction, and uh, I need to go back and relearn my primary school Australian history. And I think that's about it. Anything else you want to add this week, Linda? Mm, I don't think so. Um, I was just going to say... I keep forgetting that this is the 60s and TV series, like the seasons were longer because I saw this was episode 23 and I was like, oh, we must be like right at the end of the season. No, there's still seven episodes left or six episodes yeah, left, something yeah. like that. 31 hour episodes. It's insane, isn't it? Man, that's a lot. No wonder like, there's some stinkers. Um, yeah, long seasons because even like Discovery, they have the first season of Discovery was 15 episodes and that seems like a long season for shows nowadays. Yeah, it's still, like, it's not long for, like, compared to regular primetime, like, network, like NBC, ABC, CBS, I think are still, like, 22. It's just that we also have so many more things now, like Netflix and HBO, where the standard is 10 to 13 that I think we've just sort of have yeah, that in our head that must now. Be it. I'm pretty well embedded in the streaming world now. Yeah. There you go. Fascinating. Uh, anything else cool you'd like to add? Nope. That is the breadth of my Star Trek knowledge this week. There you go. Mine too. Uh, have you watched the Game of Thrones trailer? I am done with Game of Thrones. I, I tapped out. When did you tap Last out? Last season. Oh really? So you didn't you didn't watch last season? I watched either one or two episodes. Until that, it had been like the show I was most excited about. And then, oh really? It wasn't. I don't even know what. It wasn't like one particular thing where I I just. I don't know. I I'm like this with shows. I can just be done. There could be one episode left, and I I would just be done. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I've invested too much time in it, so I've got to see it out. So they've got me for another season or another half season. Oh, cool. Um, What, do you have anything to plug? 
my pal Emily Lynn. Sorry, I'm speaking very weirdly now. It's getting hot in this room. <laughs> okay. I'm talking okay. even weirder than normal. <laughs> Emily Lynn, what would you like to plug? I'll plug quickly then. I just have the one thing to plug, which is the Star Wars podcast to do with my friend Brittany Brown. We do a yeah. pretty relaxed Star Wars podcast every week. Uh, we, we try to have fun with it. And we just hit 75 episodes. Sweet. So good. And I believe you're about to record an episode in the next day or so with the beard of knowledge. Yes. Um, our buddy Hawes, who has two Star Wars podcasts that are very good if you want Star Wars podcasts. Um, he does one called Rogue One. That is Rogue One, one with a W. And he does uh, Blue Harvest, which is... Like, they're both just tons of fun, really good dudes. I highly suggest them. So good. That man is a champion. I look forward to that. I'm very excited to hear that. Very cool. So check out Cannabite Dispatch. I got my um, Cannabite Dispatch shirt arrived. It was. It didn't arrive in time for Christmas, but uh, it's one of my favorite presents this uh, season. I saw it. Thank you so much. I'm glad you got that. It was very cool to see. Such a cool shirt. So about the only thing I have to plug, I was on Ain't It Rich and uh, definitely check that out even if you're not into like it's a political podcast where they talk about uh, I guess out of control capitalism and some of the filthy rich people sometimes do horrible things. Um, this week's episode though was about a cool media figure who is probably one of the most influential broadcasters in the 20th century and this century and um, it's not the type of person you probably that comes to mind I guess when you're thinking about broadcasters anyway it's a good app it's a fun app check out Ain't It Rich Uh, and you can follow us uh, we're He's Dead Jim Pod Uh, we're on your favourite social media things Um, send us an email he's dead Jim Pod at gmail.com uh, we'll love hearing from you. Thanks, Darren, for your email this week. Uh, and, of course, we're on Spotify now. So if you're on Spotify or if you've got pals that um, do the Spotify thing but don't get into other podcast apps, um, let them know. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Linda. Yes, yes. I'm always happy to talk about Star Trek. Indeed, me too. And it's always great to talk to you, pal. As we say every week... Keep the Star Star Trent Trent alive. alive. (laughs) Sweet.